peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn or the pipe or the lyre or the trigon or the harp or the bagpipes or any kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a fiery furnace. And you know what happened? Everyone bowed down. The strings, the lyre, the, any music started and everyone, they hit the ground, baby. They bowed down to whatever King Nebuchadnezzar said, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not bow down. They would not. They would not yield to culture. They would not yield to King Nebuchadnezzar. The other leaders saw that they wouldn't do it and they wanted these guys to get whacked. So they said, he said this, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was very unhappy about this. He is culture. He decides what you think and what you do and how you say it and who, who, what's right and what's wrong. It's not my truth is my truth because you, I believe it and your truth is your truth because you believe it. It's my truth and you'll believe it. And if you don't, you're going to pay a price for it at work, bring it back home, at school, in your home, out in the world. You don't go along, you're going to pay a heavy price for not going along. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar says. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were, were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, let's get this straight. Then I'm, I'm adding that. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the, the zether, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. Very good. So when you go back, wherever you are going back in the world, when you leave here today, if you go along with everything that I tell you to do at work or at school, whatever, I'm going to fill your mind with whatever I'm going to fill it with. Here are the rules. Here's the way it goes. Okay. My truth is my truth, basically, because I believe it. Does that, you understand? Because we are told your truth is your truth because you believe it. My truth is my truth because I believe it. We're all just one big happy group of people until you disagree with me. So King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, if you, if you, but if you just worship it, you know, very good. But if you do not, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But here's, I love this, but even if he does not, even if I lose my job, even if I get kicked out of the class, even if, I have students who tell me that they raise their hand and ask questions in the, whether a college or high school, they ask questions and they're told, if you don't stop asking that question, if you don't, I want you to leave the class. So they said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We will not. We will not bow down. We will not yield. We will not compromise because we are a people who have been set apart by God and we refuse to do what you're asking us to do. And they didn't refuse to do everything that he asked them to do. They went along. If they could, if they could in that culture, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went along as they could. But whenever it came to a compromise, they said, we're sorry, we cannot compromise. We are set apart for God. We live in an age 
where some Christians show such incredible courage, standing up under incredible pressure, but we also live in an age where so many Christians show tremendous cowardice. They compromise. Compromise, my friends, compromises everywhere. It's everywhere. To compromise to go along, to just, you know, let's just go along to get along. And it's for such, I believe with all of my heart, is for such a time as this that God has called upon those who he has set apart to have an uncompromising faith. To have an uncompromising faith. Regardless, and honestly, I don't care if it's a pastor, I don't care if it's a Christian leader, I don't care if it's a teacher, I don't care who it is. We need to have an uncompromising faith based upon one thing and one thing only, and that is the Word of God. That is the Word of God. Uncompromising faith. What has God, God has set me apart. What has God, what have you called me to do? And if you know what God has called you to do, and you do because it's in his word, then you will not compromise. We need, honestly, we need people. We need a, a group of people with the, with the faith of Esther. In Esther chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Mordecai said this, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. Even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That's the kind of attitude that we have to have in this culture. We have to have the courage of Esther. We have to have that kind of courage. The courage to say, I will stand for truth. I will stand for Christ. I will lose relationships. Even even if I am falsely accused of being a hater or intolerant, I will not compromise my faith. I will not yield. I will not compromise. And if I perish, I perish. That means if I lose my job, I lose my job. If I get kicked out of class, I get kicked out of class. If my friends no longer want to hang around with me because of where I stand then maybe I lose my, some of my friends. No one wants to lose their friends. No one really wants, well, unless you're a rebel. No one wants to get kicked out of class on purpose. No one wants to be, on, no one wants people to call them names like hater or intolerant. But even if they falsely call you names like hater, we need to stand By the word of God, we need to stand without compromise. See, this is the foundation. This, what I just described to you, is the foundation on which we will build this series. It is a call. This is a call to be different. Guys, this is a call to be a remnant. A remnant, because all God needs is a remnant within all of it. Jesus Christ, all Jesus ever needed was a remnant of people who would not compromise, who would not bow, who would not yield. All all God ever needed, go read the Old Testament, New Testament, all he ever needs is a remnant to change the world. Doesn't need 100% of the people who even call themselves believers in Jesus Christ, to stand up for him. All he needs is a remnant, and God will change the world and the world around us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now, Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, what you need to do is ask what it's there for. Right? Write that down. It's helpful. It really is. So when you're reading through your Bible, it says therefore. And you're like, oh, you've got to ask yourself, oh, therefore. What is that therefore? 
It's, it's really helpful because it helps you understand what it's there for. Why did he say that? And in this case, in this case right here, it's a call to action based upon what he has, has already written. Not just in the, the, the verses preceding it, but written before. It's a call to action for us based upon what he has already told us. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Paul writes this. Do not be yoked, to get yoked together with unbelievers. Now, don't, don't get lost here, okay, when, as we read this. We are to be, we are going to be in the world. We're going to have friends who don't know the Lord. That's okay, right? We, were, we are to be salt and light. That's not what he's talking about here. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you can't, have, not to have friends who are not believers and all that. Just listen to what he's saying. He's talking about being set apart. He's talking about being holy. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Basically doing the same things that they do. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what does fellowship, what fellowship can, what can fellowship have with light? I'm sorry, wait. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, listen, this is so important. This is his promise. I will live among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, once again, why, what, it's there, what is it there for? Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And again, listen, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Promises that God has given to us that he will walk. He walk. When we ask Christ to come into our lives, we are covered with the blood of we are covered with the blood of Christ. And we died and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. We are one with Christ. So God is saying, I've chosen you, okay, to be set apart from me. Earlier in Romans, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he wrote this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. Listen to these words. Listen to the intensity of these words. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're alive, but you are now alive for Christ. It doesn't matter what anyone else in the world tries to put into your mind or tells you. This is the direction you need to go or you need to go along or go along to get along. Christ says, no, 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 no. Offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy Set apart and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Promises, all these promises that God gives us. God gives us all these promises that he will be our God. He will be our father. We will be, be his children. He will walk with us. Every moment, every step that we take for our entire lives on this earth, and then we will spend eternity with him. Having God's promises provided here, basically it gives us the the, the powerful motivation to separate ourselves from the wisdom of this world. And I'm telling you, it is inundating us inundating us from every side where you are constantly so you understand when you watch the news when you watch go online whatever you're constantly being manipulated to think something it's nothing they write is for oh, let's just write it for you know, whimsically it's it's to make you think something specific so we need to have this motivation to be set apart because honestly, that's first and foremost what holiness is all about. It's all about being set apart for God. Understand that. This is a paradigm shift in your mind because when I say the word holiness, it conjures up certain things for people. But I want you to understand something. The foundation of this whole idea of holiness, okay? It's about being before it's about doing. You're thinking holiness, I have to do something. 
I have to behave in some way. That's an outpouring, okay, of what happens when you are holy. First, it's about being. Then it's about doing. First, listen, it's about relationship. Then it's about rules, if you will. First, it's about being and about relationship. Listen again, 2 Corinthians 6.16. God said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. That is what holiness is all about. So first is about having an intimate, deep relationship with your God, with your Savior. That's number one. It's about being. It's about who you are. It's about attitude way beyond action. You we think of holiness, we think of action. What we should do is now pull that back, start at attitude, start with relationship, start with being, start with inward before we start with come up with outward and rules and don't do this and Does that make sense? That needs to be the foundation. We know we need to understand that concept we need before we move on. And once we understand that those promises that God has given us to be our God. Hey, honestly, some of you have been through some horrible dealings in your life, okay? Abuse, um, just, just all kinds of abuse. And you're still, you're still standing, you're sitting here this morning realizing that there's more to this life than what I have right now. I was not created to just do what I'm doing right now. I was not created so someone could abuse me and put me in a position where I, I don't feel like I can become the person that God has created me to be. You're here because you know in your heart, in your mind, there is more to this than just some religion, a bunch of rules that we have to follow. And that's what God is saying. It is. It is. It's about me. It's about my relationship with you. Stop for a second. And I want you to think about this. Do not think about this in a congregational kind of setting, uh, in, a, in, a, in a more general setting. I want you to think about it in a personal way. God is saying to you, I chose you. If you ask Christ to come into your life, I set you apart. I adopted you into my family. I adopted you in my family, and I, I am going to be your father. You didn't have a great father. You didn't have a great mother. You know what? God says, I'm going to be your father. I can teach you how to live your life, okay? How to know my will. How to know what your purpose is. And my purpose for you is so far beyond what you're living right now. And God is saying, I am your God. I have separated you out. I have chosen you. And you are valuable. Regardless of the world says about how you look or anything else, your value comes from who I am in you, not from anything else the world tells you about yourself. That's the kind of things we're talking about here. I'm not asking you, I'm not going to sit here this morning and say, here's what it is to be holy. Don't watch this show, watch that one. Now, when you become holy, as you become more holy, as you have a deeper relationship with Christ, you're going to say to yourself, I'm going to watch this show, not this one. I don't need the pastor to tell me what show to watch. I don't need the pastor to tell me which music to listen to. All I need to do is have a deep and intimate relationship with God. And when I turn the radio on and they start talking about how, how you should treat some woman, you look at that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. No. What does the word of God say how I should treat women? How I should treat other people? How I should treat people I disagree with? I'm not listening to that. I've got to listen to something that fills my mind and my heart in a way that draws me closer to God. It won't be my decision. I'm not in the car with you. It'll be you and the Holy Spirit deciding what you're going to listen to. But first and foremost, it'll come out of a deep and loving and abiding desire to be closer to Jesus Christ. These promises, honestly, and if they haven't, we should be convicted in our hearts here. These promises that God has given us to be our God and to walk with us every step of the way. And he will he will bring beauty out of your ashes. Okay, he will take something that has been horrible and he will turn it into something good. That's what he can do. That's what he's really good at doing. Even though we live in a fallen world, God can turn this whole thing around. And because of that, because of those promises, it should produce in us a heart of love. And thankfulness, thankfulness for, for, for his overwhelming generosity. This is the God of the universe and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. He cares about you. 
I mean, specifically, he knows every hair. He counted every hair in your head. He knows everything about you. He knows how you feel. He knows what that person did to you because we live in this crummy, fallen world. And he's saying to you, that is not going to define you. I define you. I'm your father. I'm your God. I will walk with you. And this will, I will make, even though you've been through this mire and garbage, I will bring, I will bring, I will bring flowers out of the poop. Hey, right? That's about the dirtiest word you're ever going to hear me say in church, all right? Or anywhere else, hopefully. (laughs) Trying to be holy. Well, Paul called it dung, right? Uh, But Paul was saying, he said all the other stuff, he's saying God is everything. He said everything else is a smoldering pile of dung. So what does that conjure up? Smoldering pile of dung. That's what Paul says. Everybody, whoever told you, this is who you are, you'll never amount to whatever. That's a smoldering pile of dung. Alive from the pit of hell. God is, you are the person that God who's created you to be, not what the world tells you you can be. And because of all that, because of all of that, we need to have this this love and honestly, this thankfulness for his overwhelming generosity. Personally, I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to be set apart. Not because if I'm not, God's going to get me and I'm going to go to hell. No, I'm not. I'm secure. Christ is in me. Christ has secured me. Christ, the Holy Spirit, has sealed me with the signet ring, okay? Cannot be broken. Why then do I want to be holy? Why then do I want to keep being more and more and more like him? Why? Because I love him. Because he took me from a place in my life where I was in darkness and he brought me into his wonderful light. He transformed me into a person who lived in fear to a person who lives in a more, a more courageous life. That's why I love him. I love him. I want to be obedient to him, not because I'm afraid of him, I want to be obedient to him because of what he's promised me and what he's delivered and what he promises for my future and what he's going to deliver. And I'm thankful before he even does it. In in Luke chapter 6 and verse 35, it tells us that one of the things that characterizes the person with an unrepentant heart, and that's the key to a lot of this, okay, to a lot of our culture, it's the attitude, this unrepentant heart. What characterizes people with an unrepentant heart is a lack, a lack of gratitude, a lack of gratitude. In Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 25, we find the same exact theme. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But, in their, their, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over into their sinful desires for the, for, in their hearts to sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. We need to have that kind of heart that says, God, I love you and I'm, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. Not a, not a heart that's that looks around them and looks at this world. I mean, how do you look at the world around you and not recognize that God created it all and did it all and has given us, we sit here in America, we've been given all these blessings and then people turn right around and instead of giving God thanks, they walk away. Their Their thinking becomes futile and their foolish hearts are darkened. When Paul says, dear friends here, this is important, in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, when he says, dear friends, what that means is he's talking directly to followers of Jesus Christ. Paul's talking to Christians. Paul's talking to believers. Paul's talking to people who have said, no, I've given my life over to him. And he defines gratitude in, 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 a, couple of, in a couple of different ways, in a couple of interesting ways. First, as he, as he defines these things, what he's saying is that we are children of God. 
that we are adopted into God's family. And because we are adopted into God's family, we are, we are the ones who are going to receive these promises. And we are the ones, because we're going to receive these promises, we are the ones who have to have an attitude of being grateful. Having that grateful heart. And then I say, Paul defines this, this gratitude, this attitude of gratitude in two different ways. First, believers must cleanse themselves from sinful actions, both of the flesh, he says, and of the spirit. Both of the flesh and of the spirit. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Wash and make yourselves clean. Make your, uh, take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. And then in James chapter 1, verse 21, we read this. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. When Paul uses the word ourselves in verse 1, he says ourselves. What this means, it's really interesting. It tells us that the cleansing work is God's, but also, okay, that, but also that we, our, our efforts matter here. The cleansing work is God's. Okay, so when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, you were justified. That means just as if I've never sinned. Okay, you were justified. You were made perfect in standing with God. So when God sees you, he no longer sees you. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. You're covered with the blood of Christ. Okay, that's number one. Then you go on to sanctification. Sanctification an ongoing process. This is where we can, we can take part. Okay, God has done his work in justification. And the Holy Spirit will continue to do his work in your life through sanctification. But you take part in that also. Because you love him. And because you're grateful for what he's done for you, because he has said, I created you, I designed you, I gave you a purpose, and I'm going to help you fulfill that purpose, all that he's done, you start to live your life and say, how can I become more like Jesus Christ? And you start to make choices with the help of the Holy Spirit living in you that leads you closer to Christ rather than closer to the things of this world. So that's sanctification. And then, ultimately, God seals the whole deal with glorification when we stand before God in heaven. So we have, we have all of those things. We have those things. It's, so, it's like, it's this amazing, amazing experience that we have that God has given us. Paul calls believers to, to not only cleanse themselves from their sinful actions... This is important, not just from our actions, it's not just about our, our, our actions, but from all connection with false religions, okay, or worldly philosophies. False religions or worldly philosophies. He's calling us, honestly, guys, he is calling us, calling us to push back on Christians and non-Christians who would try to change God's word to fit their desires or their agendas. It happens all the time. You, the word of God has stood, okay, 2,000 years. The greatest theologians of all time aren't confused with what Romans chapter 1 says or what it says in Leviticus or what it says in, in 1 Corinthians. They're not confused, but all of a sudden, culture comes along, culture changes, and all of a sudden, those scriptures begin to change. I know a theologian who says, this is what it means now. And they're trying to change the word of God. Why? To fit their own desires and to fit their own agendas. This, this complete cleansing that he's talking about here is both, it's, it's both flesh and spirit, which means it's both inward and outward. He's saying you've got to work on your mind. It's not, just, it's not just the outward things. He's talking about our minds here. Worldly wisdom and false teaching defiles the whole person by playing into what it does is it plays into your sinful nature. Because when you hear people say, oh, you can still believe in God. I, I believe in God. I believe there's a God out there. You can still believe in God and go along with what the culture teaches you to do. God, you, it, you gotta, you gotta watch those legalistic, the legalistic people. Not one thing I've said this morning is legalism at all. Said the opposite actually. 
We have to know that in our hearts we are walking with God. Not only, not only in our, in our heart, in our minds, that we, our minds are not being corrupted by the things that are going on around us. So many Christians have allowed their minds to be polluted by lies, honestly by lies and basically um, half-truths. And you say, well, listen, pastor, I don't, I don't worship false gods. I don't have a false religion. I go after church. I go hang out, and false, hang out with another group that is a false religion or these worldly philosophies you're talking about. Oh, oh, you do. You do. And so do I. It comes at me all the time through the news. I don't care what station you're listening to. They're trying to manipulate you to think a certain thing. Okay, through school, whether it's college or high school. And I'm not saying pull out of uh, public universities or public high schools. Not at all. Not at all. Keep going. But I'm just saying you have to recognize that your that, that worldly philosophies are constantly being pushed and poured into you. Whether it's your friends, whether it's your family, whether it's what you watch, whether it's what you listen to. It's guys, it is. And when I was growing up, you, you get the TV. OK, now, now your phone, your TV, your computer. Uh, 24-hour news, um, constant, constant, constant. It's never Facebook, whatever it is. And I'm not saying they're all evil. I'm not saying it's all evil. CNN or Fox News or, 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 or Facebook or whatever. I'm not saying it's all evil. I'm just saying you had to recognize that there are false things coming into your mind all the time with the desire and the goal to conform you, understand this, to the pattern of this world. Like Nebuchadnezzar, hey, if you go along... If you go along, good, right? If you don't, I'm going to burn you, okay? And in a culture that says, hey, you, your truth is your truth because you believe it, and my truth is my truth because I believe it, see what happens at work or at school or anywhere else in the culture when you don't agree. Is your truth your truth because you believe it? Is there love and acceptance of your truth? But God said it doesn't matter. You can just stand anyway. And it's and it's and it's working here. What kills me, honestly, what really what makes me a little more passionate about this is that it actually is working. I, there's a difference between as I walk through the world, I look at those who don't know Christ. Okay, love them with all of my heart. Give them the shirt off my back. Jump in front of a train for them. Whatever. All right. I love people. But there's a big difference between a person who doesn't know Christ arguing with me about certain issues or disagreeing or living a certain way and Christians doing the same thing. That's where it gets hard. You ever, you ever watch Star? You ever see the first Star Wars? How many people have seen Star Wars? The first Star Wars. Remember in the remember in the first Star Wars where they got they got on the garbage chute. Right. And they're in the garbage chute and all of a sudden the walls start to close. Right. And Luke's up there trying to pop it. Here's here's how as a pastor, here's how I feel listening to the things that are going on around me. I feel like one wall says the world on it and the other wall says the church on it. And I don't mean I don't mean Grace Chapel. I mean the church in general. And they're both pushing in with the same message. Compromise. Give in. Change what you know. Here's what it really means. Here's what I think it says. Here's what I think. Compromise. It's constantly pouring in. And, and it seems to be working because cultural Christians or carnal Christians dominate the landscape and the spiritually immature churchgoers are following like sheep without a shepherd. Honestly, if I say something, you, you have, I am not God, okay? I pray all the time that I wouldn't say anything that would be offensive to God or that would be wrong according to the word of God, but I'm not God. And when you go to church or you listen to your podcasts or you go watch your TV shows, if the person up front begins to say something where your, your spirit starts to get a little, oh man, I, that's kind of, that's kind of, I'm not really sure about that. Just because they call themselves a pastor or a church leader or whatever else doesn't mean you go along with what they're saying. Because compromise, my friends, is 
everywhere. And the reason that God calls us to know his word over and over and over again is because so that so that we can discern between what is true that people are saying and what is false that people are saying within the culture. Even people call themselves Christians because Christian leaders, Christian authors, Christian celebrities attempt to change. And it's more and more now. I see it almost every week. I I read, I'm watching news or something like that. Every week, they attempt to change the biblical truth to fit their own desires, okay, or their need to be accepted by culture, their need to be culturally relevant, I want to be culturally relevant. I really do. But not at the, not, I will not be relevant at the cost of compromise. I will not, you can, you can say, Jeff Greer is the most irrelevant person I've ever listened to preach in my whole life. Fine with me as long as you're saying, because I will not compromise the word of God. I will, I will give up being relevant. I have, I want nothing to do with being relevant or being a thought leader or any other new kind of thing that goes out there if it means that I have to compromise the word of God in order to get along with the culture so that I'll be accepted more generally out there. People don't need to hear half-truths from the Word of God and partial lies, if you will, to lead them to Christ. My professor said, I've said this before, I'll say it again. He told me at Nyack, he said, what you win people with is what you win them to. I'm trying to lead people into a personal relationship with a God that I just described to you who loves you and says, I have loved you so much. I set you apart. I want you to be holy. I'm going to be your father. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to walk with you. That's the God that we should be leading people to. Not some watered down, compromised gospel that has no power to it. Why on earth do you think our children are leaving the church when they graduate from high school and never coming back? You know why? Because so many times we walk around like a bunch of sissies, okay, giving into every single thing that comes along. They see no power. They see no power. They don't, they don't see, they don't see people who would risk their jobs because they love Jesus that much. It's like first the Easter bunny, then it's, well, Santa's real. Then it's, then, you know what I'm saying? And then they, then they watch and they watch and they say, they watch you. More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. They watch you and they see if you truly are living out the word of God like you expect them to. And when we don't, if cultural relevance means compromise, count me out. I'll tell you right now, guys, I'll tell you right now, I didn't get saved from, wor- from, from this, this world only to rejoin it 40 years later because the culture and the Christian culture tells me that I'm supposed to compromise and go along to get along. I did not get saved. I wonder, I actually wonder, why did Jesus have to come and die if everything is okay now? You sleep with anybody you want to. Why? Because you're in love. And love is love. And all this kind of stuff. And so you do that. And God's fine with that, I guess. Say whatever you want to say. Use whatever language you want to use. Even though the Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only was useful building others up. Then we profit those who are listening. Get wasted. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. What? So I'm asking, why did... If, if, if nothing's really a, you can't, oh, I might wait. I'm going to use the word, hold your ears. Put your ears in your kids' ears because I'm going to say this word, sin. If nothing is a sin, then why did Jesus have to come and die? And I don't mind the world pummeling me with this stuff. But goodness me, when my own brothers and sisters in Christ are pushing back on the most basic truth of God's word, we got a problem. And that's one of the reasons when I brought this whole idea of doing a series on being different, on being holy, our staff in that room all rose up at one time and said, yes, that's the series we need to do. Every single one of them, because they feel the same thing. We need not bow before our culture. We cannot yield. We cannot compromise God's word. We can get along when it's when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Daniel, they got along when they could get along. But the moment that the king or anyone else went against the word of God, 
They said, not a chance. Kill us if you have to. Our God will rescue us. But listen to this, what they said. But if not. And that's how we have to live. We have to live the but if not. I don't want to lose my job. But I will. In order not to compromise what God has called me to do. And how God has called me to live. And who God has called me to be. See, here, um, here, here's, here's, I'm going to tell you a truth from my perspective, okay? Many Christian leaders, many Christians will align themselves with the social issues in this culture. Whatever issue you want to choose, whatever social issues you want to choose, they align themselves with the social issues of the culture, the same way the culture thinks, because for one basic, powerful reason, they want the world to love them. They, they love the world. They, they won't say that, but they love the world. They love the world. They love all the world brings to them because of what they're, how they're living. They love the world, and they want the world to love them. And see, that's hard to admit. That's really hard to admit. But that's really what it boils down to. They love the world and they want, they want Nebuchadnezzar to say, good. You're good. Now, don't, don't go off track here. What's going to happen to you? I'm going to throw you into the fire furnace. But people don't. They, want the, they love the world. They want the world to love them. It's a big problem, though. Big problem. Big problem. And James 4.4. 4. If James... If God sent James back to earth and he went into churches and he started preaching for a month, he'd clear out 80% of the people in the church. Just so you know. James 4.4 is clear on this whole subject of me wanting to love the world and the world loving me. He says, you adulterous people. I looked it up exactly what adulterous people meant. Those who are spiritually unfaithful, who love the world rather than God. Here's what he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Is anybody like, is anybody confused? Is there any confusion? The lights are on, so I can't see. Raise your hand if you're confused about what that just said. Good. I'm not confused. I'm not confused either. So, so, so many people in our culture, guys, so many people in our culture are bowing their knee to the prince of this world and to, and to the applauding masses. I want to, I want to be more well. I want to, they, they bow their knee to the God of this world, whether it's in music, you want to be in the music industry, bow your knee. You don't have to. But man, you'll make, you'll probably make, it'll be a lot easier for you if you just do what you're told. I have, I know a band that, um, that went out to California, and when they went out there, they're really, really good. And they're a Christian band, and the, the producer said, um, yeah, this is great, this is great, but you have to throw a few cuss words in there. Throw a few cuss words in there because that'll broaden your audience. And you know what most Christians will do in that case? They'll say, eh, a few cuss words, because you know why? Because here's, here's the Christian thing, I can get a platform. But the problem is, Satan just came along and said, I got a deal for you. Got a deal for you. If you do this, the next thing you know, you've compromised, and down the road you go. They forget that holiness is first and foremost. What it means, what it means first and foremost is to be set apart for God. I go in, I want you to do, I want you to cuss in your music. I can't do that. But understand what they're saying. Yield, bow, compromise, or you won't get the contract. Bow. Okay. And all they say on the way down is, but I'll have a platform. You lost your platform. You're on your knees. Compromising to the God of this world. If your views, I'll be real clear, if your views on social issues are in alignment with the culture, then most likely, okay, in most cases, your views are not in alignment with the word of God. I don't know how else clear I can say it. Your views are not in alignment. Most, not in everything, not in everything, 
But in some, most things, your, word, your, your views are not in alignment with the word of God. Here, the, cult, the, the cry of cultural or carnal Christians is, I know, I know, pastor, the word of God says that, but I feel, but I feel, or I, I know my, my friend or my relative is such and such, so I don't think anything, fill in the blank, fill, fill in the blank. I have a friend or relative who is fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I don't think anything's wrong with it. Let me, let, me, um, let me try to throw something out to you. It's not a newsflash, but it'll be something maybe it'll shock some people. I personally can love you. I can respect you. I can treat you with... I can, I can like, give you a shirt off my back, invite you to my house for dinner. I can be, we can be really close friends, okay? And I can still disagree with you. That's possible. It really is. I can love you, respect you, treat you kind, never say a harsh word toward you. I can be your friend and still disagree with your choices. That, that, isn't that a shocking thing to say in our culture today, right? My, my, we always say this, you know, like I said before, your truth is your truth because you believe it. And my truth is my truth because I believe it. That doesn't work in our culture anymore. I have friends who are godless, friends who are godless, Get wasted all the time, sleep around all the time. I still love them. And I hope one day I'll have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with them if they'll, if they ask me. You know, here's the thing too, Christian friends here. You don't have to go around telling everyone what you think unless you're being asked. If no one's asking you, if people are living a certain way and they, they're not asking you what you think, you don't have to share what you think. Just love them, pray for them, invest in them, befriend them, show them love and respect and dignity, everything else. You don't have to say what you think. You can love those. You can love people. We're called to love people. The reason I'm preaching this sermon, honestly, I know I'm passionate about it, but I want to be clear. I love people. I want people to know the God who created them. I want people to know and experience the kind of life that they can, they can experience. Instead of the kind of life that's filled with folks who come into my office and who, will, who, who say one thing out in the world, but when they sit behind those closed doors and they tell the truth, they are suffering miserably. And they need someone who's going to tell them the truth. When you tell someone the truth, it means you love them. Telling some, if someone's house is on fire, yelling your house is burning is not mean. It's compassionate. We need to ask ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, this is about, this is, this is about us. This isn't about the rest of the world and all the things you're doing. This is about us. This whole series is about us. We need to ask ourselves, are we actually trying to be holy? Are we trying to be holy? Or are we looking for holes? Are we looking for loopholes? You know, when I was a youth pastor, especially the guys, the guys would come to me and say, um, Pastor Jeff, how far can I go with my girlfriend before I actually, like, you know, you know step over the, the thin line? And I would say to them, wrong question, right? That's not the question. You shouldn't be asking, how close can I get to the edge before I actually fall off? If this is like 4,000 feet down, what you want to do is you want to be way over here, Right? That's the wrong question. We need, to, we need to stop looking for loopholes and start looking for holiness to be holy. Here's, a, here's something that's so important that we have to get down. I'm sorry this is taking a little longer. But here's, this is important. Sin isn't really the issue in this discussion. Because when we sin, we all fall short. When we sin, God will forgive us if we ask for forgiveness in Christ. Here's, here's the real issue we're talking about this morning. It's about denying your sin. It's about, it's about accepting your sin. It's about embracing your sin and saying the word of God isn't true and that what I'm doing isn't wrong. That's what it is. When Nathan came to King David, okay, and confronted him about Bathsheba, David broke down and was repentant of his sin. And that's one of the reasons why the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. So second and finally, 
The second way Paul defines this act of gratitude is by perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The word perfecting in the Greek means to fulfill. It means to complete. It means to finish. Christians are to pursue. We are to pursue holiness by separating ourselves from the lies and the deceptions that would compromise us. In the belief, in the belief that we can accomplish the goal of being holy. And we can, we can accomplish the goal of being holy. God says, I will help you. I will help you in this endeavor. We can get there. It says in Philippians chapter one, verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We can walk with God. God will help us fulfill the holiness that he has planted into our lives. We just need to keep in mind, guys, like I said before, we can be in the world, but we cannot be of the world. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26 says, you are, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. And again, 1 Peter 1, 16, be holy because I am holy. Paul also tells us that we can achieve this out of reverence for our God. We need to have this intense reverence for God, that we love him so much that we want to be like him. In Job 28, 28, it says, and he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord That is wisdom. To shun evil, that is understanding. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is pure. And when he says fear, it means reverence. The reverence of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. The reality is that Christians compromise, my friends, because they fear the threats of the world. We fear the threats of the world. We fear the rejection. We fear the persecution. We fear that we're going to be called names. But here's the thing. We need to be more concerned, more concerned about the God who created this world and who has power over this world in this life and the next more than what someone else may do to us out in the world. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, in the world. And we can overcome anything that is thrown at us. We just need to stand firm. We cannot yield. We cannot compromise. We cannot give in regardless of the cost. Okay. So what does holiness look like day to day in our lives? What does it look like to Fulfill the great commission and share Christ with the people around us without, without compromising. That's the key. How do we share the love of Jesus Christ with the people that we care so much about without compromising? And then one last thing. What does it mean? What does it mean to belong to God? I'm going to tell you all those things. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for how awesome you are. And thank you, Lord God. That I serve in a church with people who, as difficult as it is to hear, desire to know your word, desire to be more like you, desire to have that pressure put on, Lord God, that we would be refined, that we would be refined as gold, as pure gold, that you would work in and through our lives. And that through your cleansing power, that you would help us become holy as you are holy. And to appreciate the reality that because we gave our lives to Christ, we died and our lives are now hidden with Christ in you. So in standing with you, we already are. Now we just need to work out our salvation, Lord God, because of our love for you and try with the best of our ability to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And when we fall short, we know We know that we have one who goes to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also the sins of the whole world. What an amazing truth. What an amazing truth. What an amazing God. We will not bow to anyone or anything but you. Love you. In your son's precious name, amen. Have a great week.